Hello, everyone. Glad that you can join us today. Uh, today, we are celebrating the fact that we've been doing this for nine weeks. Um, and uh, we're welcoming many of our genuine men on board. Um, let me just tell you a little bit more about uh, the genuine men's uh, chat Zoom live, and then we'll introduce everybody on board. So Genuine Men is a movement consisting of a chat show, a podcast, workshops, and now weekly Zoom lives that express the often unheard, honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, their thoughts, their perspectives, even their obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them their families, their communities, and society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what life is like from a man's perspective. Hello, I'm your host, Reham. I'm a Genuine Men's uh, coach, and I'm here to welcome our Genuine Men to the, to the call today. We've got Alan, we've got Michael. Hello. We've got Nick, and we've got Tim. Hi. And Tim happens to be our very own guest speaker today. Let me introduce you to Tim. Tim is a fellow coach. He's a trainer, a consultant. He works with employers to improve staff relationships, working in men's health, with the homeless, drug users, young people, and in benefit systems in the UK. Behavior at home in, and in the workplace has been a key theme that runs through all of the projects that span his 25 years of amazing experience. Welcome, Tim. Thank you for that. I'm not Anytime. doing all those things at once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I have done all of those things, not doing quite all of them at the moment, but because um, you can't do everything. No, no. But the wonderful thing is you've amassed that experience and your toolkit is even bigger and, and fuller of amazing resources that uh, the men can benefit from, that we can benefit from, um, and then the community, uh, our audience at large. I want to just jump in and, and, and say two things. One, since this is our ninth episode, I want to reconfirm the goal of why we started this show. Um, these live calls. And it's to create a safe, interactive, engaging space for men around the topic of how to redefine your purpose and redesign the way you fulfill your purpose in your relationships, in your careers, and in your life. So today's topic is men's health. Whenever so, you're ready. Shall I just kind of start then? Yes, please. Okay. Um, so as, as part of this conversation, which we have kicked off in uh, the beginning of the year with a, a few groups of us talking about what it's like now to be male and fit into the world at the moment, um, men's health is an interesting topic because uh, I think I said in one of the conversations before that we had in the group that it's a funny thing that when you start talking about health with a bunch of guys, it almost immediately turns to sport or exercise. So very few men are happy to talk about illness or well-being 
outside of the the realm of what they are comfortable talking about. So for some men, um, they like talking about work. For many, many men, they love talking about sport. Um, and it might be football, which, you know, is the big one in Scotland. Um, Nick, you've got a background in skateboarding. You know, it could be any of these other sports that people love to do. And um, in many ways, that's a happy thing because um, sport's good for us. Exercise is good for us. And also having hobbies and having interests and having passions is also good for us and keeps us alive and whenever anybody's talking about something that they love they do come to life don't we say that about people he came to life and he was all excited about what's going on um, and that seems to be a natural thing if you look at kids um you know there are several ways of getting kids excited about things but one of them one of the big ones for them is getting them outside running about exercising being in the fresh air having a, a healthy level of competition um, but being on the move and so it's not really a bad thing that men love sport and competition but it does get in the way quite often of, of an honest conversation about well-being and about our levels of health and our interaction as men with actual day-to-day -day health rather than sports injuries. Or on the positive side of that, the ability to, to build muscle or build finesse or build skill around dexterity for whatever sport it is that we love. So I thought I'd get that in at the beginning because it's an interesting one and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see whether over the next hour we slip into that. Um, because I know that when we talked in the group before about men's health, we did. We, we went straight to um, what it feels like as somebody who's not particularly sporty to feel in amongst other men who are. And that sort of locker room competition before you even get out on a field. Um, so why, why should we bother? I suppose the, the headline that I wanted to kick off with and see what people think about is that despite the fact that life expectancy in the UK has been on an upward trend from really the, the 1980s right through to the mid sort of 2000 and tens so the middle of this decade life expectancy for men in the uk was going up but it has plateaued over the last few years and in some areas it's starting to decline a little bit but despite that rise which is a gain of about five or six years across the average um in the uk one in five men die before they are 65 and in Scotland, the figure is one in four men. So one out of us four won't make it to retirement age in general. And I, and I wonder how people feel about just hearing that as a, as a thing that is here around us going on all the time. And what, what does it make you feel as a guy? 
Michael. Um, I think it's, uh, it's uh, listening to that in itself is, is quite scary. And uh, if I go back to that background sometimes that we come from and the cultures that we come from, just like you just highlighted there, um, in our communities, talking about men's health is kind of um, some uncomfortable area and therefore um, you find that most of the people that might get themselves involved into talking about men's health um, are well to do uh, uh, people you know they, they have a bit of money and and they can afford some some of these things or activities um, otherwise generally um, is seen as a, talking about men's health is seen as a is, is seen as a weakness despite the fact that it affects the community despite the fact that there are those issues that need to be to be addressed so um, culturally is uh, seen is is there's a stigma attached to it and so um, it takes a lot of guts for people from at least the BAME uh, communities to talk about. Uh, in most cases, it will be done um, in groups or communities which have got a bit of money uh, or are really keen to, to develop those skills. Otherwise, generally, um, it won't be. So hearing those statistics um, is quite scary. Um, and I think, again, it's something that needs to be highlighted but probably highlighted in in kind of a different way whereby um people are not scared of addressing and talking about on the side of being interested in you know um we need to participate um yeah that's my take on that yeah so very much you know, reflected across cultures in, amongst men, it seems, is that that concept or, or feeling that men don't want to admit to weakness and that they link ill health to weakness. Which I, I do kind of get, but it's if you're a strategist, then dealing with your ill health would seem like a strength, wouldn't it? If it's going to help you live longer and be a winner, you would think, if I sort this out, that's a good thing. But it doesn't seem to work that way. We, we don't seem to have made that leap yet. Um, although maybe, you know, newer generations coming through think about these things differently. Um, may, I, may I add something? Yeah. Gonna, basically, what comes to my mind straight away during this conversation is that I think a lot of young men just don't, think about this at all because unless your body is starting to let go of some way whether you're losing hair or your your uh, your hands or uh, your arms your legs are you know refusing to work um, then they then don't usually you know 
think about health at all. Um, there are some people in communities like entrepreneurs that, for example, tend to work out and have healthy routines and stuff like that. But generally, young people, they don't occupy themselves uh, with health. And maybe that is one of the reasons that they wait too long to take care of this. Yeah, so that sort of invulnerability of youth then, while we're, we're healthy and everything's working and it's all shiny and new, yep. we don't need to bother with it. Definitely um, borne out by the, the statistics and the, and the research that was done over the last 30 odd years does tend to bear that out, that men's behaviour, even though it's, it's, it's improving around health-related activity, um, does tend to say that men eat all the pies up till they're about 35 so they do everything that they shouldn't. They don't really think about overconsumption. Uh, so too much alcohol, not enough focus on diet, uh, not enough focus on being careful in terms of sexual health, um, and not a lot of regard to general maintenance, unless, like you say, Alan, there's something goes wrong. Or they are committed to a particular sport and want to excel at it. So you've got two groups of people that, you know, that are either really focused on their bodily performance um, and people who don't have to worry about their bodily performance who, you know, skew this a little bit, I suppose. What the research tends to say about that, you know, if you do, if you live a lifestyle that doesn't really take any recognition of having to be careful up to your mid-30s, that tends to be the reason why lots more men are dying in their 50s and 60s because the health implications of it are, are pretty dire. You know, your body gives up earlier if you haven't looked after it uh, correspondingly early. Um, now, you might say, right, well, you know, one in four men dying under 65, okay, everybody dies once they get a bit older. But in terms of comparing that to um, women and when they die, there's 50% more men than women die before they're, 55, they're 65. So it's not that this is happening to everybody. There is a, there is a very vivid um, difference between what's happening in women's lives to what is happening in men's. And that... Um, is reflected across all the age groups right up till you kind of run out of men in their 80s. You know, because if everybody's died early, mm. there must the you know, there absolutely must be more women dying in their 80s because there's no guys left. Um, so even when we think right, well, it's not as big as an issue as we can as it might be, it actually is. There's a big difference going on, and, and that's why men's health is important as a topic because. We don't still totally understand why it is that right up through the age ranges, men are not as um, resilient in terms of ill health as women are. There's another aspect that comes into it that some people have put forward maybe as the reason, um, which is that in terms of reproductive health, so 
the contact that women have with the health service because they're going to have children, um, that contact is much more than guys have. So if you take out ill health and just focus on the need to use a service around having kids and being able to have kids, there's a, a routine or a practice, if you will, that women get into that allows a dialogue between them and the health services that are provided. That means it's not as much of a, of a leap to then present with, with ill health as soon as you get symptoms of it. Um, and the other thing around that as well is, you know, this feeling of, of responsibility for children um, that women perhaps as a, uh, as a general thing, not an individual thing, have more responsibility for childcare, have more responsibility in terms of, uh, of parenting and therefore are quicker to deal with health issues so that that doesn't impact on their ability to, to look after their children. So all these ideas are kind of floating about around this. Um, and again, I would say, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think in, in your own personal terms, if you found that something was going wrong, how easy would you find it to pick up the phone and say to a doctor, uh, something's not right, can I get checked out? I think it's a really interesting topic actually thinking about the gender dynamics there and men traditionally have got this kind of historic unbreakable uh, nature where we're being vulnerable and, and asking for help is seen as a weakness and, and women just don't have that they have traditionally always had support networks they can reach out to and an extension of that is is asking for help for your health and I feel you know personally that health is something that you completely take for granted until it's taken away from you. And after that, you realize how vulnerable our meat vehicles that we ride about in are, and, and how important it is to get regular MOPs and check the oil, just to, to beat that metaphor to death. Um, yes, I, I really hope that it's, um, I really hope that it's, uh, it's changing. And just to, to counter Alan's point about young people, I think on, on the other side of that, young people are feeling the pressure to be fit and healthy and to have six packs on Instagram. So they're concentrating more on their diet and almost going the extreme way where they wouldn't even touch all the pies. They're more uh, on intermittent fasting and protein shakes and feeling a different societal pressure around health than, uh, than ever before. That's an interesting point. Um, I actually would agree with that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that too. And it can go so, so extreme that, um, they will probably wear themselves out in the gym or uh, strain their backs and, and their, uh, you know, their muscles because they want to get so fit. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's one thing I wanted to say about calling the doctor. Um, so that's an interesting one because two things. One is I am from a family that we had at least a couple of people that are kind of hypochondriac, which means basically if they constantly think there's something wrong with them. So I'm the extreme opposite. Whenever there is something going on, I'm like, no, that's probably nothing. I'm uh, probably exaggerating. I don't need to worry about that. Uh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. And my girlfriend is constantly 
telling me off for this because she's like, what if there was something wrong? What if that chest, uh, that pain in your chest, that was something? And I'm like, no, but I would rather not know if there's something wrong with me. I, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to make myself feel sick, like be hypochondriac. So I don't call the doctor. I don't go. So I've been living here for 10 years. I have been to the doctor once, uh, mainly because it required me to register, not because I actually wanted to have my health checked. And I probably should because I'm after 30 now, 34 uh, coming up so should probably check myself up but i don't want to do that and, and can i put you on the spot and say why is that uh so that's a mix like one of those things is probably because i'm scared that they will find something that is there uh I, my father died because of cancer at 44 years old um, so obviously there's a slight worry about that. Um, and like, I believe that obviously some of us could make themselves sick, like by just thinking about it constantly. I, I worry about people who are hypochondriacs and I actually make themselves sick from here. So it's like a mix of those, uh, a bit of being scared, what if it's gonna happen? I would rather not know and just like live my life uh, until I just collapse. <laughs> or uh, basically, um, you know, just make myself uh, depreciate, if that's the word, right word. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fear mainly, I think. Yeah, and understandable though, you know, with the situation with your dad, then, you know, that makes sense, doesn't it? To worry that things will happen and go badly for you. Um, yeah. Michael, you're looking like you want to jump in. Um, I think, I think, again, going back to the medical side of, of it, you highlighted there um, in terms of uh, women, you know, um, really, they get that access to the doctors and is and i look at my kids growing up and uh, my daughter is now 14 coming to 15 and my older son is uh, coming to to 16. The girl, even at their school they've already started that interaction with them in terms of their health um in terms of checkups which the boy who's older never gets. Now sometimes again that support, that service on the on the men's side, I think sometimes it falls into the, the ego, the ego, whereby we haven't and therefore um, after a certain period of time that fear then kicks in. Um, of uh, why should why why should I um, you know I've grown up thirty years forty years I've never uh, gone to to the doctor why should I but underneath that is is the ego is the fear and all those things um, so I think uh, while we talk about and address some of these things I think the approach should be an early intervention um, whereby those services are provided at the same time. To the boys and the girls uh, so that they build that confidence at the same time and they keep developing that otherwise 
without that kind of approach, again, many years on the road, we talk about the same issues um, because the systems and processes that are in place are focusing on one group of people and leaving out the other. And the other group that is left out, obviously, underneath it is the male ego, it's the, it's the fear, it's the pride, it's, you understand? So um, if those things are not addressed at an early stage, then we fall into this kind of, of scenario, which is a lot difficult to address at a later stage um, as we go along here. Michael, you bring up a pivotal point, and this is why we're doing the show. Mm. Um, you know, I would love to expand this show to boys as well, because they're just as impacted. Um, boys at this present time are struggling with um, struggles of, of, you know, peer pressure, of gaming, and filling their time with being on FaceTime or, um, you know, social media to try to upkeep their presence, to upkeep their, their, their status. Men do the same thing, but just in different ways. And so you, you hit a really pivotal point or a critical, sorry, point in the fabric of our systems and our societal systems and processes that really need to be reinvestigated. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Um, I think as well that, that the real gender difference in education um, is really important in terms of what we do, the, message, the, the very early messages that we give to boys and young men. And again, although things are changing, you know, Nick, you made reference to body image. Um, what tends to happen at the moment is where we, where we are shifting in terms of gendered work. We don't always get it right. We go to the lowest common denominator. So rather than, you know, um, improving the problem of young women having unrealistic expectations around body image, rather than improving that as a gendered subject, we have over the last 20 or 30 years almost made young men's ideals and expectations around body images along the same lines. So rather than improving things, we've made young men worse and more vulnerable to that than we have done anything much about improving young women's situation in that. And it's the same with things like, um, and some of this stuff is anecdotal rather than scientifically backed up. But if you think about the conversation that goes along the lines of, look at that woman who's done well in business we tend to then head into the territory of yeah it's because she acts like a man so a lot of women who are successful at, at senior management level in large companies in the uk tend to have had to take on male traits um which also impact on health um as opposed to using more uh, traditional feminine qualities to get to the top so again it, the, there seems to be an issue that we have where we whichever way we go we don't tend to improve and match up like michael's asking for this you know this more balanced view of gender um, and improving it 
Um, and it and it does come back to a gender difference. It's it's massively shown in the statistics around the, the really big health issues. Now it, it's sad, Alan, to hear about your father dying so early of, of cancer. Um, but massively as an issue for the UK and probably for Western Europe as well. Um, I don't have those stats in front of me. But in terms of, of all the range of cancers that a body can get, um, men tend to get them in the same numbers as women, but then die more often of them. So again, coming back maybe to Michael's point and Alan, your point that you've made as well, what is it about men not wanting to know, not wanting to act, not feeling that they can act immediately when something goes wrong? So, you know, if you take, for instance, um, uh, bladder cancer, just as an example, right? So that about the same number of people in the UK get bladder cancer. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman but men are nearly three times as likely to die of it. Now, as, um, as an example um, of that, I turned 50 a couple of years ago, and on my 50, like actually on my 50th birthday, arrived through the post to me um, a letter about bladder cancer with the, a way to submit a sample so that I could be tested for it. Now, I, I wonder about men in Scotland and think, right, how many of those people send back their stool sample, so they gather a bit of poo and they put it in the thing that's all very safe and they send it off in an envelope to be tested. Mm. How many guys, when they hit their 50th birthday, who get that? And it's meant to be everybody gets it on their 50th birthday. How many people send that back? And it would be interesting to see those statistics on, on who does that or not. Um, and for women as well, it would be the same embarrassing thing that we don't want to talk about. Um, but yeah, men three times as likely to die of bladder cancer. So what's, you know, what's going on about this? Um, um, and the other big one still in Scotland, cardiovascular disease. So circulation problems to do with our you know, our, our main system of living, blood circulation and breath. Again, under 65, just over twice as many guys die of this as women. So although we're doing well, we've stopped a lot of people smoking. A lot of drinking has been reduced in Scotland. So these things, um, the three big things around CBD um, are poor diet, lack of exercise, um, and smoking, um, all proven to be massively implicated in what happens. So we have improved behavior around those things over the last 20 years. Um, but we're still, you know, it's going to take quite a while to catch up that the outcome of that starts to happen. So, I mean, for me personally, I just think I'm, I'm no different from most men. I'm not massively interested in my own health. I don't, I can't claim to be some saint that sort of goes for all my MOTs and, and does my checks when I'm supposed to. 
I don't think I've ever felt myself for lumps and bumps in terms of the different, um, you know, testicular cancer. There's an easy test to do for that, easy self-check. I don't think I've ever done that in my life, even though I was involved in men's health work for a long time. Um, and I think it's just really sad that we, we struggle as guys to change this collectively. And again, thinking about gendered work, women's health over the last 50 years has moved on massively. Um, there are pockets of World Health Organised sponsored women's health workers in various parts of the NHS in, in Scotland very few workers looking at men's health but then women have made that happen for women's health as a movement but it's funny Michael you said the messages that we're, we're saying have to be repeated over a long period of time or, or that things don't improve 20 years since I started working in men's health properly before that I was working in sexual health so it kind of it was also a big issue, um, but I was quite surprised. I went to a, a meeting in January about men's health and all the things that we were saying 20 years ago that were big issues are still the headlines now. Exactly the same stuff mm. as though no work had happened in 20 years. Mm. So part of me says, well, what's the point? You know, if men really aren't bothered, then fair dues <laughs> but that doesn't seem right somehow especially when you think about that one in four figure um but i suppose there is a, a lovely trend and it's been it's been partly driven by technology and it's been partly driven by the move to um towards vegetarianism and veganism um, and to, to be promoting a healthier planet whereby larger numbers of younger people are more aware of the issues. So although there's some downsides of being young and I think, you know, expect unrealistic expectations about success, about um, how we present ourselves, how glamorous we have to be, how wealthy people want to appear so aside from all that pressure i do think there's a lovely opportunity over the coming you know 15 to 20 years whereby teenagers now are moving into positions of influence and they'll have a different outlook on life they've certainly already got a different outlook on the planet they've got a different outlook on materialism and what money can do for you so I, I don't think it's hopeless by any means, but there's a long, long way to go, definitely. Um, the other big one, of course, that we've not mentioned yet, mental health, is around suicide. Um, and this is the one for me that, you know, all the physical health stuff, like I say, I'm, I'm, no, uh, I'm no saint when it comes to my physical health. I don't do enough exercise. My diet's pretty good. I don't drink too much and I don't smoke. So I'm kind of thinking, 
that's enough in terms of the physical health. Um, it's probably not, but it's enough for now. But the reason I've, I've stayed interested and the reason why I still talk to people about men's health and why it's an issue and what we should do about it is the issue of suicide. Because three times as many guys kill themselves as women. It's the biggest killer of men under 55, I think, in the UK. And that's, that's just really terribly sad that if your only option in your head is to say the world will be a better place without me, then we're, we're letting people down. Um, I'm sorry that that's a bit of a bummer. You know, it, it's a heavy subject. Um, but it's there all the time. You know, two of my school friends last week um, came on social media separately and said, I've been having a good week and just found out that one of my friends from way back killed themselves. Um, both on the same day came and said that, you know, good friends lost to this. So that's the one for me. How do we educate young people, especially young men, in particular young men who feel different? So men who um, are disabled, men who are gay. How do we educate them? Hi, Stephen. I had, sorry to be late. How do we educate them to say, I'm struggling, help me. And not feel that that's weakness or not feel that that's a burden. Or to have some hope in the world. Um, so yeah, if you've got any answers to that one, fling them out now, because we need it. Um, and that sounds a bit flippant, I know, but it's not. It's a sort of, uh, it's a heartfelt, cry for where do we get hope from for people michael i think and it goes back to that point that i made in terms of uh, the early intervention where the systems and processes have got to address i've got to have an early intervention approach because again uh without that being put in place then things fall apart um I, uh, in using the example of my, my, my kids, um, my son, for example, the older one, is so much into exercise and, and fitness and, and things like that, which is, which is quite good. Um, actually, at a certain point, they, they, they challenged me to see that I also do something <laughs> about my physical health, um, which, is, which is good. But then the worry is, Without that extra support, um, in terms of you know maybe getting a checkup or 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 guiding them in terms of uh, the physical fitness that he's doing, after a certain period of time, that that falls away. So I think alongside the support that is given to the girls at a younger stage throughout uh, their lifestyle. Um, is, is, is meant to be the same approach for the boys as well at an early stage um, where they are monitored and supported and, and guided and, and all that support is available for them as well. Um, otherwise, again, going back to what I was saying, that the, some of these things, if they are not addressed at an early stage, it falls into that male ego. Uh, therefore, what, what, why would I? Why would I go for a checkup? It falls in under that that pride, um, you know. Uh, you know, I don't I don't need a checkup uh, uh, 
just uh, going back to what Alan was saying, I think I'm, I fall in the same boat as Alan. Um, sometimes you feel uh, weak or, or ill, but you're just like, I, 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 don't, know, I, need, I don't need to go to the doctors. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll pull it through. Um, again, it's, it's that male ego. I'll fight it. I'll fight it. I'll fight it. Um, and sometimes it works. Before you know it, it's gone. And so you're like, yeah, I've done it. <laughs> but, but you don't know the side effects of what that has done to you. Um, and sometimes by the time we, we, we address those issues, it's too late. And, and, and so, um, again, it's that pride and, and ego um, sometimes that leads us into that loneliness and thinking, I'm alone. I can never be able to, to deal with this. And unfortunately, we come to a point where we think suicide is the end game. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm useful. Because when I look at Alan, when I look at Stephen, when I look at Steam, they're they are doing better than me. Um, and uh, when you look at the, sometimes the negativity attached to, and, uh, to, to opening up and, and all those things, you know, someone just caves in and thinks, you know what, no, um, I'm not taking this anymore. Um, I think the best thing for me to do is just in my life, which is very, very unfortunate. So I think um, early, that early intervention um, is key um, for the kids. Uh, because without that, the effort that the, the, the kids put in, especially when they go, when they hit secondary, that's when all these things start to, to come out. Um, they, they want to look good, they want to appear good, they want to appear strong and, and all that. And then before they know it, they're out of secondary and maybe into college and university and all that. And by the time they start to hit those levels, the mindset is changing and the demand is changing. And therefore, why should I go to them anymore? Um, and, the, uh, and, and so, yeah, uh, I think an early intervention that supports them um, um, is, is quite key. Yeah, there's, there's another argument for early intervention in school as well, because across all the, the, uh, the reasons for um, all mortalities, all the reasons for dying, um, men's health is consistently worse the poorer you are so if you look at the richest people in scotland versus the poorest the richest people in scotland live for about 15 years longer um and that's been consistently the same so like i say over the last 20 years it's never really changed so the other argument for catching young people while we've got them at school is that in the UK we have free education we're, we're very blessed with a fantastic education system if for all its failings um, compared to other places in the world it's very sophisticated so we've got an audience that cuts across the the regular differences in um, affluence then we need to take that opportunity to to level some of that playing field while we've got kids in primary school. How you fit that in with a curriculum, I'm not entirely sure. It had, the efforts have been made um, to broaden the curriculum, to, to bring in emotional well-being and emotional resilience, but there isn't, you know, there isn't enough time given to that. 
compared to some of the other things that we do at school. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, going back just a second there, I suppose it, it does sound really depressing when you talk about this stuff. Um, so for me, recently, you know, in, 20 years ago, I would be thumping a lectern about, you know, men's wayward behaviour in this. But my thoughts on it in the last year or two have been much more about how do you generate hope for people and aspiration? Because it, it might be with having little kids again, I don't know. But, it, but that to me seems to be the difference for people. If I've got something to look forward to, and my expectation is that I'm resilient and I can handle challenge and I'll make a good job of the future that I have, I'm much more likely to invest in it. But how, how you make that happen at, at a population level when we've got all sorts of political things with a small p going running counter to that so you know our political systems that we as the population vote in run counter quite often to individual human experience being a joyful thing because it's mostly about human existence being on a treadmill to to provide money to look after ourselves you know and individually we have to fit into that mold so it's quite tricky to see how it'll change but i do i do think um you know the children are the future <laughs> can i turn in with a positive note then um so what i've been thinking about in terms of the opportunity of this current pandemic is you know there's never been anything which has been instantly so global and so personal and it's affected everyone regardless of their wealth, their creed, their colour, and, and for the most part, their location. And what it's brought with us is it's shown us how vulnerable we all are as a society, as a race. And the conversations that have come out about that have been amazing. How people are checking in on each other, how people are taking a human-centred approach to work and living. And now when someone asks me, how are you doing? It's not just a flippant formality that gets bound about. You know, it's a genuine check-in. And the conversations that have come out of that have been really empowering to know that it, this is a really shared experience and uh, the Corona Coaster will take you uh, where it will, regardless of, of what state you're in. I really hope we don't, we don't lose that whenever this is blown over and we're on, on to the next thing. I really hope that we don't take people for granted and we really um, acknowledge everyone's mental state, uh, regardless of where they are. And that this, this culture of, of not being afraid to be vulnerable and, and sharing your feelings continues. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think we need to not lose it. We also need to recognize that it's been a positive thing and get the people who are missing out on it to catch up afterwards as well. You know, so the, there's really good work going on at the moment to try and extend digital access to particularly young people who don't have it who are really missing out um, there's good work going on in terms of 
expanding the work of networks that you know that deliver food to people who can't get it in scotland we've got homeless people in accommodation you know overnight in glasgow pretty much homelessness has been massively cut um so yeah there's there's loads of positives isn't there that we need to make sure that we carry forward i suppose that's the other thing for me i wonder what people think about this as a thing right because we, we quite often say we've got to do this we must make sure we do this and what we actually mean is politicians the council the public sector they actually need to do that after we've moved on whereas actually we are the electorate we are involved in politics whether we like it or not we are community we are society and although we've had a long time of indoctrination to say no you're on your own actually there's no such thing as, as society um, we've got to make those changes happen so activism as opposed to keyboard warriorism or you know sitting at home watching other people do it has got to has got to increase somehow and i mean do do other people think that's an issue or is it just me being cynical I, from a leadership point of view um you know the uk has not been the bit the best and actually the real success stories have come from humble normal people that have gone out of their way to do things for their community you know it's not been the likes of Richard Branson putting his hands in his pockets and, and doing something for everyone. It's been normal people doing the right thing, not because it's a good business decision, but because it's the right thing to do. And more of those stories need to be celebrated. And those are the stories which don't usually make the news. Um, so it's a beautiful thing. And you need those blue sky stories at the end of the news, but it should be the norm. It should be a celebration of activism from the grassroots rather than... Um, you know, an idea of, of governance. And do other people see that happening? I know, um, I know in Glasgow, Michael, you are involved in a lot of community-led activity. Um, do, you, do you see that across the city or do you think that your examples of, of pushing for community-led work are, are fewer than they should be i think i think for a lot of issues have been known um for a very long time and 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 so the issues are known um but the biggest challenge has always been and i and again i hope like uh, nick highlighted there i hope we don't miss that because there's a lot of good work that has always been done by the grassroots um, organizations, but yet at the end of the day, the grassroots organizations don't benefit. Um, it's always the big boys that benefit out of the work that the grassroots are doing. So best thing that is normally done with the grassroots is uh, is surveys and and consultations and and things like that and then at the end of the day reports are done and the 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 the, the outcome or the, the 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 work is assumed to be done by the corporate organizations and, and so this crisis has really uh 
highlighted where those inequalities are. My worry is even after those inequalities have been highlighted, um, how we, we boldly and confidently respond to that. Uh, because the challenge would then be that, yes, we know where the inequalities are, but you know what? Again, we're going to come up with a solution and the big boys will be the ones to lead the way. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, again, the grassroots organizations that seem to be doing all this work and, 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 and reaching out to the communities, um, best thing that they can do is uh, get you involved in the consultations and small pieces of work here and there. Um, but nothing, there's nothing um, uh, that, that you get as a grassroots organization. Now, that doesn't mean that organizations won't work. They are still happy to, to do that. Um, but I think this highlights some of those inequalities and, and where some of those gaps may be. And, and so my hope is that uh, uh, as we go ahead, we find ways of addressing those inequalities. Um, one of the things that we've been, we really shout about is, uh, is the diversity of ethnicity, especially in Scotland. Right now, even with all that, the work that we've been doing, there's a bit of work that, uh, that is being done down south in London and things like that. People are trying to be bold to address and continue with that kind of conversation. But in Scotland, everything around diversity is now shelved in the, under the carpet and, you know, we, we don't have to do we don't have time to do the trainings and we don't, you know, we can't, we are now focusing on COVID. And yes, we're co focusing on COVID, but COVID has highlighted some gaps. So why don't we look at those gaps? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and so for me, th those are some of the, the challenges that we have in Scotland. And uh, the way we address issues in Scotland is, is uh, from, from my point of view, is, is really terrible. Um, so we acknowledge the, 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 the issues, we, 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 we've done the reports and we've done all these things, but when it comes to action, mm, no action at all. Um, right. And so that, that worries me, uh, and I just hope that uh, something gets done. Otherwise, again, just as we're talking about the, the health side of things, whereby a lot of work has been done, some of these things were done 20 years ago, it's again the same thing, exactly the same thing, same cycle that we're going through um, in regard to uh, some of these issues. Yeah. So what I hear from all parts of the public sector at the moment, whether that's those involved in delivering legislation through to those actually having to deliver and you know talking about everything from public agencies and so forth, um, to go back to Michael's point there, they are simply at capacity. Um, people have been repurposed off from one thing to another and there's just simply no, no bandwidth left in the system for, for anything else. Um, I was having a conversation uh, with somebody earlier who said, you know, all of our work is taken up with this. I've just had a meeting where we were talking about some other bits and pieces that were all really important and trying to work out which of those we could potentially do. But you kind of get the impression there's this, you know, Michael, you, you highlight it from the area that you're most familiar with. I suspect there's a ton of others as well that are just being just being pushed out at the moment, which I'm guessing then also makes the argument for um, us having to step up and do it ourselves <laughs> as far as possible, um, which I'm afraid is rather like David Cameron's 
big desire in the flesh, I think. But there you go. Mm, mm, mm. It's a big leap to make, isn't it, from where we've yeah. been? And that's that's obviously a sweeping generalisation because there's lots of men who are active at community level, but there's a hell of a lot who are not. Um, yeah. So for me, I suppose the bottom line of this is if we're going to change things in terms of men's health. We somehow have to have a shift in men to think that it actually matters and they have to care. They have to care about themselves. They have to care about other men without worrying about how that sounds. Um, and they have to take hold of this and have a movement themselves um, of, of improving. And for that, you need a reason to do it. So why would life be better if we all cared more about our health? I think for me is, you know, um, where the push needs to be. Well, that's the basis of why we're doing this. And, and you all bring up points that I think for each topic, we can, we can talk hours on end about because they are poignant and they're impactful in the sense that there needs to be change. So you asked a question, Tim, just right now, is there any commitment that each of you would like to make today, now, to yourselves, to each other, to really, you know, invest in your own health? What, whatever that may be, physical, emotional, sexual, um, mental, <clears throat> spiritual health. Is there anything that you want to commit to today and start the process together so that we can create this shift? All right, so I will probably get myself checked after this conversation. I mean, not today, not tomorrow, but I'll get that done. Uh, maybe that's a good kind of prompt to uh, finally do it. Uh, yeah, why not? So a general, general health check. Yeah. yeah. On your concern, Alan, very quickly, I, I really wonder if this, if the pandemic might cause more men to be less likely to go to the doctors because we are being told to not go to the doctors or A&E for non-essential uh, conditions. And I wonder if that's just the pushback that, that a lot of men need to, to just put a halt to, to any good plans they might have. Yeah, just put a downer on it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nick. But you, 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 prove a, you prove an important point. You do bring up a really important point because I know a lot of people have resisted going uh, to the GP. So Alan, I want to commend you for making that commitment to checking in on your physical health. I want to just reflect on the, the courage that that takes. And you know that you've got a family behind you, these genuine men here and myself and, you know, this genuine men's movement, um, we're here behind you 100%. Anyone else? I think for me at the moment, thinking of this in more educational terms um lots of time at home with my son and my daughter uh, over the last couple of months has made me focus on really trying to find ways of making sure that they are educated properly about the differences in gender and how how positive they can be and how they shouldn't be used um in an oppressive way you know um, so for me, that's, that's where my head at is in terms of commitment to this, that in a, in a small but important family way, 
I don't want to churn out another young guy that takes all this stuff for granted and, and doesn't realise the history of, you know, privilege that can be abused. Um, and, you know, and that, I don't think, you know, it sounds a bit... Some people pick on that as sounding a bit weird, you know, a bit like, why are you doing that? It's not so manly. I don't think there needs to be a divergence. You know, I think you can be hyper male without impinging on anybody else's um, lifestyle or, or life. You know, there's nothing wrong with being male. It's the, the way of doing it that has caused problems in the past. So yeah, for me, it's education of my own children at the moment. Good on you, Tim. Anyone else? Uh, for me, um, I think it's, uh, it's the physical health um, that I'm going to really work on. Um, I would like to look like Alan, like Nick, like Lickett, um, I, I need to, <laughs> uh, going back to, uh, what, what I, me? <laughs> <laughs> and you missed Stephen too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Stephen too. Uh, um, so going back, Going back to the example that I used about my son, I think I'm going to take up some of the, the challenges that they throw at me. I don't know how that is going to work out. So, um, yeah, watch the space. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Stephen, I think uh, Mike was trying to motivate you. That was his uh, kind of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delicate way of saying you put on the pounds, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, as time's going on for me, I'm realising that I'm not that young guy anymore. Uh, getting out of bed, even getting out of bed, isn't as easy as what it used to be, to be honest. Simple things like that, I think, just kind of, you know, um, made me more conscious of things are going to get a bit harder as time goes on for me. So I need to start kind of stepping up, to be honest, whether that means in my diet or just physically going out there. Um, and even that thing that you were all talking about of um, something's wrong and you're just not, you just uh, won't own up to it. You're too man manned up like, hey, I ain't going, you know, I'm all right, I can handle this. I don't do that anymore. Recently, I was uh, in hospital for um, issues with my appendix. And um, I kind of dealt with that very, very quickly. As soon as I felt symptoms in the house that uh, were quite foreign to me, it wasn't something that I'd recognised that I'd physically felt before. And immediately, I picked up that phone, called the NHS and said, something's not right. You know, I can, you know your body or else I've, I've begun to listen to my body more, I think. I've begun to connect to my body in terms of uh, anything that's um, that I don't understand. You know, I'll pay kind of more attention on it and try to see what's going on here. Um, and I make myself more aware of myself, my own body as well. So, I mean, that was 
something that I highlighted just recently, as I said, with, with my appendix, and I dealt with it straight away. Thankfully, um, obviously, with everything going on with the COVID thing, the, 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 the normal procedure is they, they do surgery, they take it out, and the next day they send you home, but they weren't willing to do any type of surgery at this particular moment. And they look for alternative treatment, which was um, using antibiotics. So the, the stay that I had in hospital was a wee bit longer than what it normally is for these types of procedure. I was in for about six days on antibiotics. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was um, something that, other things perhaps I'm still kind of, you know, uh, I have that kind of masculinity kind of idea of, I won't ask people for directions. I'll kind of go and get lost driving about. And then eventually when all was lost, then I'll maybe ask. So in those type of things, I probably still have that trait. But um, yeah, when it comes to health and, and, and certain other aspects, I think, you know, I'm very, very conscious of it now. Um, and I do make that, I, I do make my friends aware of that as well in conversations now, whereas it never used to be a case. But I think the, the kind of, group of people that, uh, that my kind of generation for their own benefit. If I think it's something of their own benefit and I think that they're kind of lacking in something, I will see it. I'll have a conversation with them. One of my friends came to visit uh, quite recently and um, I was out walking with my wife and I said, look, I'm out walking. He goes, okay, look, we'll keep our distance. We'll just come and meet you and we'll do the walk with you. He literally walked maybe about a thousand yards and he had backache. And I was like, man, this, you know, and I've been on him now. Uh, since that time, I've actually been very concerned for him. And I phoned him a couple of times to address that. And he's been, you know, making excuses. Oh, no, it's because of this. Oh, no, because of that. And I was listening. I can hear what you're saying. And you're hiding behind excuses. You're really not facing up to the thing that you have a problem here. Um, and I think as a good thing if we can actually start especially people that we're close to that we can talk like that I think it's good to have that conversation with people mm. well, that's great because that that's a you know that's a really clear example of what I'm saying you know how easy is it to care about our friends and actually do something about it because um, that's what needs to happen so it's cool yeah but you're healthy Liakit and welcome back and yeah, good on you for 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 seeking out your friend to to call him to his own help. You know, good for that. Good for you. I think it is that. I think we have to be more concerned uh, as human beings. You know, um, and you know, it's. Um, I don't know whether I would ad admit to that if I, you know, when we were younger, if I would actually look at that, or if I thought that was a wee bit kind of an uncomfortable situation you know thing to to talk about but certainly now i don't you know it's 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 really as age is going on i realize you know you're going to face a lot more issues if, if things aren't dealt with directly um and that's my whole kind of attitude towards that to be honest and if i see someone you know that i i could say certain words that would be of benefit then I'll say it without without offending anyone, obviously, uh, you know, um, and being kind of, um, you know, uh, constructive rather than destructive in my, the, the way that you, you talk to people. Any last minute takers before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll do a quick one then. 
So I'm going to come at it from a different point of view. In, that in the last year, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to, to diet and, and, and work out and stay healthy. And, and the pandemic derailed that and it's affected my mental health as I can see standards slipping. But I'm going to make a pledge to just be a bit easier on myself and uh, give myself permission to, to rest and, um, and prep myself in battery saver mode for the next challenges that we've got coming as a, as a society. Good on you, Nick. Good on you. Battery saver mode on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just want to acknowledge each and every one of you for showing up. It, it was lovely to have each of you to here with us. I'm going to go to gallery view just to acknowledge that we all actually make it, uh, made it, sorry, today. Um, we're missing a few men, but um, each of you are invaluable to this process, to this movement, to make it what it is today and what it could be. So thank you for your commitments to each other. Thank you for your commitments to yourself. And thank you for, the, for your commitment to this movement, this genuine men's movement about giving men an opportunity to be healthy from the inside out. So um, join us on our next episode of our Genuine Men's Chat Show um, and watch our pod listen to our podcasts, watch our shows. Um, we were up to... Um, we're, we're halfway through uh, season one for the Genuine Men's Chat Show, and we're moving on to the 10th Zoom Live next week. Um, next week, we have martial artists, uh, two of them that are going to be talking about resilience and um, how to overcome fear um, through their principles, um, the, the martial arts principles that they've learned and have embodied throughout their life. So um, in the meantime, share, like, and follow the Genuine Men's Chat on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Join our Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group to join our other men in this discussion. And our motto in 2020 is many men, many conversations. And dare I say, many men, many conversations for mental health and men's uh, overall health. Have you taken your seat at the table yet? See you next week. <laughs>